Well, today we start back to our series, Acts, the Unstoppable Power of the Gospel. Now, if you haven't been around for a while, there was a time about a year ago, we started going through the book of Acts, and then, then we stopped. Uh, we had Christmas and the holidays, and I don't know what happened after that, uh, but today we are back looking at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, will be there in just a moment. Now, I've got to catch us, I've got to catch us up a little bit. Like a lot has transpired in the first nine chapters of Acts. Um, and so, now remember, Acts is a volume two of a two-volume work. The, the first volume is uh, the Gospel of Luke, and this is the second volume, uh, the book of Acts. And, you know, when we look back at history and we wonder how it is today that a bunch of, of non-Jewish people are gathered in Park Hill, Denver, worshiping this Jewish Messiah. Like it started with just a handful of, of Jewish believers who weren't really interested in taking this to other people groups. Maybe to, to other Jewish people around Judea, people, um, Jews who had been scattered. Like the Jews had gone through tremendous uh, persecution. They had been scattered. They had been taken captive out of their, their homeland, their native land. And so the, for the first believers, their idea was, yeah, we're going to go to the ends of the earth, but just to just to our own folks, just to uh, Jews. And um, so how did we get here, the other side of the globe, 2,000 years later? The only reason we know is because of the book of Acts. What happened in the story in the book, in the book of Acts? And um, like I said, it's a two-volume work. In Acts chapter 1, just to, again to catch us up, Luke starts with these words. In my former book, Theophilus, I'll give you five bucks if you name your next kid Theophilus. I might even double it. Ten. Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. So that's what the Gospel of Luke was about. And to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So if the Gospel of Luke was about, about what Jesus began to do, Acts is about what Jesus continued to do. And sometimes we make the distinction like the gospel is about Jesus, Acts is about the church, but really, Acts is about the continuing work of Jesus. Like what happened after Jesus, he died, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. Like Jesus continued to work through his church and through the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts, we see that the, the story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus ascending to heaven. It continues in the lives of those who believe. And, and as we go through the book of Acts, it becomes clear that if we follow Jesus, we're not just to be spectators, just fans. Like there is an invitation to be involved in what God is doing in the world. Uh, and one, one scholar put it this way, that Jesus, he is the, both the historical Jesus who lived and the contemporary Jesus who lives. Like ongoing Jesus is alive. And, and so for the... For the next few months, we're starting in Acts chapter 10 today, and we're going to go through the end of the book, like just week after week. Most, um, just, and so you can prepare every week by reading Acts, and I would encourage you to do that. And as you read, try to feel what the, the disciples were feeling. Like when they saw thousands of people come to Jesus, rejoice with them. When they saw someone killed for their faith, mourn with them. But put yourself in the story and then ask, what is my place in this movement? 
What is God calling me to do? So I, I thought today, in order for us to get caught up, one of the uh, great resources that we have available, that you have available in studying Scripture, is the Bible Project. Anyone familiar with the Bible Project? Bibleproject.com, you can just Google it. And it has incredible, just short videos that talk to you, that uh, talk about the, the historical setting, what's going on in the story, how it relates to the, the overall story of redemption. And one of the videos they have is on the first part of the book of Acts. So we're going to take five minutes to get us caught up, and if you'll uh, play that. During the first century, when the Romans ruled the known world, a grassroots countercultural movement was born in the eastern end of the empire. Yeah, it started among the Jewish people. Who for centuries now have been scattered around the known world. But no matter where they lived or what language they spoke, they kept their identity as the family of Abraham, devoted to the one true God. And every year, they would travel to Jerusalem for sacred festivals. And during one of these, the Feast of Pentecost, the visitors encountered a group of Jews who could somehow speak in everyone's native dialect. Yeah, they were telling stories about a man named Jesus who had been executed by the Romans. They claimed he had risen from the dead and was now exalted as the true king of Israel and the whole world. And this Jesus was now calling people to adopt his upside down set of values and live under his rule called the kingdom of God. And thousands of Jews decided to stay in Jerusalem and join the movement. It grew in size and in influence and gained favor with people. But not with the Jerusalem temple leaders. They viewed this whole thing as a dangerous religious sect, and they even executed one of its leaders named Stephen. It's no longer safe in Jerusalem, and so most of the followers flee for the outlying land called Judea. And you might think that's the end of the story, but actually this tragedy became the way the movement spread outside Jerusalem. That's where the second part of the book of Acts begins. The scattered followers end up in surprising places, like Samaria, where their ancient enemies live. Yeah, and Luke shows us how all of these unexpected people start following Jesus, like a sorcerer from Samaria who has to learn that the way of Jesus isn't about gaining power, but giving it up to serve others. There's also a story about an Ethiopian delegate who, after discussing the scroll of the prophet Isaiah with Philip, decides to join the movement. Yeah, Jesus is expanding his movement out into Judea and Samaria, just like he said he would. Which is great. But back in Jerusalem, we meet Saul of Tarsus. He's part of the religious elite who oppose the new movement, and he's finding and arresting Jesus' followers anywhere he can. This is a cruel guy. But think about it from his perspective. In the past, Israel had turned away to other gods and to false prophets, leading to disaster. He believed he was protecting Israel and God's honor by getting rid of these people. And then Saul hears that the movement spread north to Damascus, so he sets out there to find and arrest more followers. And on the way, Saul has this sudden encounter with the risen Jesus himself. Jesus asks Saul why he's fighting against him. And then Jesus commissioned Saul to now represent him to Israel and to the nations. And Saul is stunned and speechless. And so he ends up in Damascus. But now he's announcing the good news about the Jesus he had just been attacking. And no one saw this coming. Totally. And the same goes for what happened next. Over in the port city of Caesarea, there was a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And he represents everything the Jewish people would hate about the Roman occupation. An angel appears to him, and he tells him to call for a man named Peter. 
So Peter comes, and he finds Cornelius and his friends and his family all gathered together in his home. Yeah, and this is scandalous. Jewish people don't enter a non-Jewish home to avoid ritual impurity. So what's Peter going to do? Well, right before this, Peter had a vision. God brought to him a collection of animals that his people were forbidden to eat. And then God said to Peter, eat these. And this is shocking to Peter. He says, I've never eaten anything impure. And God responds, don't call impure what I have made pure. And then that's it. The vision was over. So Peter's going to start a new diet? No, he's an Israelite. And he's honored these customary food laws his entire life. The vision was preparing him for this moment of him standing among impure non-Israelites. And he realizes that God is declaring these people are a part of the family of Abraham. And so Peter decides to stay and tell them about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit shows up just as he did at Pentecost. But now it's for a Roman centurion and his non-Jewish family. The movement is broken out. And so back in Jerusalem, Peter is now telling the other apostles about what happened, and they start getting reports about even more non-Jewish people following Jesus up in the big trade city north called Antioch. So they send a man there named Barnabas to check things out. Barnabas finds the Jesus movement alive and well in Antioch, and he finds it's made up of people from all over the world. And so Barnabas recruits Saul to come and work with him in Antioch for a year. They're teaching, living among the people there, watching the movement grow. The church in Antioch was the first international Jesus community, and it is where Jesus' followers were first called Christians, the Christ ones. And so the way of Jesus was transformed from a group of Messianic Jews in Jerusalem into the multi-ethnic Jesus movement spreading through the world. Their faith was the same. It was centered on the good news about the crucified Jesus who is the king of all nations. But that message and their new way of life was confusing, even threatening to the average Roman citizen living around them. And the resulting conflict is what we'll explore next as this movement goes global, or as Jesus said, to the ends of the earth. It's good, huh? I like, I like those videos. Uh, so Acts begins with Jesus commissioning his... Can I get the lights on real quick? I don't, no one falling asleep. Mm-hmm, I know who you are. Um, with Jesus commissioning his disciples to take the good news to the ends of the earth. And we see that happening in the first few chapters. The, the Jewish people who had been scattered are in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They, they hear, um, well, the disciples are speaking in tongues, the 120 who are in the upper room, and they say, well, this, this is our, our Messiah, and they're saved. And then a couple of chapters later, they, uh, well, there's some persecution that happens. But the good news goes to Samaria in Acts chapter 8. And then the good news goes to Africa. In Acts 8, the first non-Jewish, non-Samaritan believer is a wealthy uh, black man from Africa. And then it's for the religious. We see that in Acts chapter 9 in Paul's conversion. Very religious guy who needed Jesus. And now we come to Acts chapter 10 where, where Cornelius, probably a white European-ish type guy, meets Jesus. Because even white people need Jesus. Amen? Amen. Uh, now this Acts chapter 10, the narrative actually goes from Acts 10 and 11, and it's one of the longest passages, one of the longest narratives in the book of Acts. And, and the reason is, I think, because Luke is trying to shine a spotlight on this, um, on this narrative, on this story, and wants us to know, like, hey, don't miss this. Don't miss this. And the Bible's written in Greek, 
And there was no way when, when Luke was writing to bold the text, to underline it, to, to highlight it. But if that was possible, he would have done it with this text because it's so important uh, to the Christian movement and to our faith. And um, the more as I studied and was getting ready for today, the more urgency I felt with trying to uh, explain everything that is in this passage, and it's just not possible. Like, there is so much here, so much to take away. And so your homework is going to be to go home and read Acts chapter 10, um, to read it from the perspective of Peter, to read it from the perspective of Cornelius, and really just pray, pray through it as you read and, and as you study. And you, you should probably do that every week after I, I preach, if you're going <laughs> to remember anything more than 24 hours. It's just a good, good idea. Um, so in Acts chapter 10, it, it's too long for me to read verbatim, uh, but I do want to give some context, and we'll go through some scriptures as we go. Uh, so in the first century, there, there was a, a temple, and I've got a picture of the, the first. Uh, this was called Herod's Temple. Herod had built this temple, and uh, the temple was built of different courts. Like the first kind of court inside of the, the walls was called the Court of the Gentiles. And if you were a Gentile and you were a, was called a, a God-fearer, fearer, you could go into the Court of Gentiles. But that's as far as you could go. If you were a, a Jewish woman, you could go into the next gate, into the next area called the Court of Women. You were permitted to go there. But that was as far as, as you could go. Uh, the next gate was the Court of Israel where only Jewish men could go. And then there was another court, the court of the priest, where only the priest could go. And there's actually been archaeological evidence that has found inscriptions that were warning signs for people to keep out. Um, there's two, at least two, that are still intact. So around the temple, there were warnings. Um, let me, just so I, so I get it right here. It says, no, the warnings said, no non-Jew is to enter within the temple. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. All right. Welcome. Come on, come all. Um, so there was a very definite divide between the Jew and the non-Jew, or what we call Gentiles. We don't really use that terminology these days. Uh, but there was, there was a clear divide of who was welcome and who was not. And, and the differences weren't just in religion. The differences were in what people ate, uh, the holidays that people celebrated, their, their culture, even their art and their architecture. There was differences between uh, the Jewish people and the Romans and, and the Greeks. And there was differences. I mean, the Jews believed in one transcendent God. And then you've got the Roman and Greek pantheon of gods. Uh, the Jews, um, the Jewish people were, were very much uh, centered around the Hebrew scriptures, around the teachings of their, their rabbis. And the uh, the Hellenistic, the Greek culture, I mean, there was just kind of a free-for-all when it came to morality and philosophy and politics. And just one, one quote from a, a scholar on this, talking about this, the differences. This is John Stott. He was a, a pastor in England. He said, It is difficult for us to grasp the impassable gulf which yawned in those days between the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles on the other. Not that the Old Testament countenanced such a divide. It affirmed that God had a purpose for the Gentiles. By choosing and blessing the Jews, he intended to bless all the families of the earth. The tragedy was that Israel twisted this doctrine of election into one of favoritism, 
became filled with racial pride and hatred, despised the Gentiles as dogs, and developed traditions that kept them apart. No Orthodox Jew would enter the home of a Gentile. Remember that. All familiar intercourse with Gentiles was forbidden. So that was the, the context for Acts chapter 10, where Jesus was very clear, this message of mine is to go to the ends of the earth. And, but the, the disciples had mostly stayed around Jerusalem. There was a brief moment of persecution that got them out, got them into Samaria, uh, got Philip to speak with the Ethiopian. God directed him to go. But those were kind of one-offs. Because then it seems like the narrative in Acts chapter 9 goes back to Jerusalem. And things are going pretty well. In Acts chapter 9, 31, it says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Those are all good things. Like who doesn't want peace to be strengthened and encouraged in our faith, increasing in numbers? But the disciples, still up to this point, they don't realize that the good news is for all peoples, not just them, not just for the Jewish people, even though there was an anomaly here or there. So Acts chapter 10, I think you've had time to get there by now in your Bible. It'll be on the the screen as well. But it begins at Caesarea. Caesarea was a coastal town on the Mediterranean Sea. There were more non-Jews in Caesarea than Jews. Uh, It was a a Roman garrison. The, The Roman governor of Judea lived in Caesarea. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So he's a Roman soldier. He's a commander, uh, maybe about 80 to 100 people. And from Roman history books, we know there were about 3,000 soldiers at this time in Caesarea. And so he's one of a number of soldiers, but he has a little bit of clout. He's not just your foot soldier. He's, he is a centurion, a, um, a leader. Uh, verse 2 says, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Like, we could just stop right there and camp on that phrase for a moment, like unpack what, what does that mean that our, our gifts and what we do for the poor come up before God as an offering. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with another Simon, the tanner, whose house is by the sea. Uh, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius is not a, a Jew, but he is described as God-fearing. And that's it's not really a technical term, but it's someone who is not a Jew, but is interested in the God of Israel. Like they um, they're, and even want to worship this one God, because that was different than the, the Romans' God and the Romans' religion. And so he was interested, but he didn't want to become a full proselyte, a, a full Jew. Why? What did you have to do in order to become a Jewish person? Circumcision, right? Circumcision before anesthesia. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not many takers on that one. Like, we'll just walk, 
watch from afar. Just, it's just reality, all right? That's how it, how it went down. Uh, but the author points out, act, uh, the author points out Cornelius' character, that he was devout, he was God, God-fearing, that he prayed regularly. In verse 22, it says that he was a righteous and a God-fearing man. He's respected by the Jewish people. So Cornelius is a good man, but he's still an outsider. He is not part of the people of God. And, and in the story uh, timeline, this probably happened around 40 to 42 years, let's say after Jesus, we can just say A.D., uh, 42. But the people reading Acts, probably after A.D. 70 sometime. And that's important because in A.D. 70, the Romans came in and wiped out Jerusalem. Like they held it under siege, and the people who were there were just massacred. When the siege was finally lifted after a couple of years, the Jewish people had starved to death. And so there would no doubt be people, Jewish people, reading the book of Acts after A.D. 70, reading about this Gentile guy being described as devout, as a worshiper of, of God. And it's almost like they would be like, hmm, a Gentile? Nah, I don't, I don't think so. Because they would have had this deep animosity towards the Romans. I mean, because the Romans were the oppressors. The Romans were the colonizers. And so it wasn't just like there was differences. I mean, this was uh, an oppress people who had been oppressed. And so you can kind of cut them some slack when there's no uh, feelings of love towards the Romans. Um, but here in Acts 10, for the first time, we see Gentiles fully appear, no longer hinted at, no longer uh, just insinuated, but fully on the stage for us, the audience, to see. Like for, the, for the first time. And Cornelius is us. He is us. He is a ruler. He's a leader of people. He's what so many people today want to be considered uh, self-sufficient and to be part of a people who were self-sufficient. I mean, that was Cornelius. But he's, he's an anomaly because he's a God-fearer. And he stands at the door of Israel and knocks. He stands at the door and he prays the prayers of the people even though he isn't one. And he, he goes through the, the, wor- the, the motions of worship in the life of God's people as though he is one, but he is not. And he is embodying the hopes of Israel from the outside. He is an outsider. He's part of the old order, the way that the world works, but his actions are preparing him for something new. Amen? And Cornelius didn't know it, but God knew his name. God knew his name and calls out to him, Cornelius. Does God hear the prayers of those who don't know Jesus? Obviously, he does to all who would call on him. So Cornelius has this vision. He immediately sends some of his servants uh, to find Peter, and the next day they're approaching Joppa about noon, and Peter has no idea what's about to happen. He goes up on the roof to pray. It's about noon. He's hungry. The food is being prepared, and he, he basically falls asleep. You ever fall asleep when you're hungry? Got some weird dreams. Uh, <laughs> Steve and I were just sharing in the meet and greet. We both had weird dreams last night. Someone was trying to kill me in the neighborhood. I'm trying to run away, jumping fences. Anyone have that dream you're trying to get away from someone and you can't? I had that dream this morning. So weird. I don't know. But Peter goes up. He falls. It says he, he falls into a trance. Uh, 
And God is preparing Peter for what's about to happen. Because if, if these Gentiles just show up where Peter's staying, he's not going to welcome them in. Like his heart is not ready. He's not re- ready to return with them. He's not ready to stay in the home of Cornelius because Cornelius was a Gentile and Peter was a Jew and that was just something that Peter could not do. He wasn't ready. And this is despite, I mean, you guys, uh, I mean, just a little background on Peter. Peter was like one of the main guys, one of Jesus' inner three, had walked with Jesus, had, was there on the day of Pentecost, was the guy who stood up to preach, and thousands came to know Jesus. He was the guy who was imprisoned for his faith. He was the one who had prayed for the lame man outside the temple, one who uh, saw a, a multiple dead people come to life. Uh, and yet, Peter was not perfect. God still had something to do in Peter's life and in Peter's heart, and he wasn't quite ready yet. And knowing Jesus doesn't automatically just fix us. It doesn't get rid of all of our prejudice. Just knowing Jesus, like there was work to be done in our lives, and and there were some deep-seated issues in Peter's heart, but God was working on him. God was working on him. And so Peter falls into this trance and there's this crazy vision and the sheet, as you saw in the video, comes down, all kinds of animals on it. And, uh, and, and Peter hears God say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter, there was no way that Peter was going to do that. Because even first century uh, Jews who were not overtly religious and like all in, everybody kept kosher. It's familiar with kosher, what we call kosher laws today of, of food and, and what can be touched and, and not touched and eaten and, and non-eaten. And uh, in fact, the Jewish people preferred death to eating unclean food. And it happened during the reign of the Maccabees, in the period of the Maccabees where they couldn't eat unclean food. I'll just starve to death. Like that's how. And so for God, Peter's like, Mm-mm, I may be hungry, but I'm not that hungry. I'm not eating that food. Uh, and Peter's not one to hold back. And that's what he, he says. He's like, no, Lord, I love Peter. Uh, I don't know if he falls in the category of uh, cursing out God like Najee was talking about earlier. But uh, Peter was all in, like, mm, I'm, not, I'm not touching that food. And then the voice spoke to him a second time in Acts 10, 15, said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. The sheet is taken back up, and Peter is like, mm, what is going on? Meanwhile, the guys are down at the gate that have come from uh, Caesarea. They found Simon the Tanner's house. And uh, Caesarea was about 30 miles north of Joppa. I'll just show you a quick map so you have a frame of of reference. It's hard to see. It's small. I apologize. But the Mediterranean Sea, the word that sticks out into the water there, Caesarea. You come down the coast, the very next city is Joppa. It's about 30 miles. And so if Cornelius had the dream at 3 o'clock, on foot they traveled 30 miles south, got there the next day. Probably traveled through the night. I mean, going through 30 miles, that's a good, a good trek because this was an urgent task that they were on. They weren't, they weren't messing around. Um, they asked for Peter, and, and while Peter's thinking about this vision, he hears the Holy Spirit say to him, Simon, go with them. They've come to your house. You can go. Not you can. You go, don't hesitate. Go with them, for I have sent them. And already in Acts, we have seen Peter respond with boldness when it comes to things like sickness and death and imprisonment. But how will he respond 
and faced with his own prejudice, with religious discrimination, with racial discrimination, because he doesn't know yet that the guys at the door are Gentiles. He's just been told to go with them. I've, God has sent them. And it's interesting, Peter's in Joppa. There was another prophet of God who was told to go to his enemies, to tell them, uh, well, to tell them to repent. This was before Jesus. And that prophet had said, no way. I am not going. The people you want me to go to, they're my enemies. They are destroying Israel. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3 says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. We found a ship bound for that port, and paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Peter's in Joppa. The same call is about to come. How will Peter respond? So he goes down and chats with the guys, and the guys tell him about Cornelius, about his character, and they tell him that Cornelius has seen this angel and that he's supposed to go with them. In Acts 10.23, says, Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. This was the first step for Peter. He probably, if he had had that vision, probably would not even have invited them into, his, into the house. So the next day, they head back to Caesarea. Uh, Peter takes a few other people with him, because you never want to go in that circumstance by yourself, right? Especially if you're, you're Peter, you don't know what's about to happen. Um, and they arrive the next day, and I love Cornelius is, is waiting for him. And he's gathered all his friends around. Like, he is expecting... Peter to come. He's expecting um, it to happen just like God said. Like he had the sense of ex expectation. And um, so they go and Peter gets there and they go inside and the place is packed. I don't know if it's standing room only, but they're, they're there. And it's interesting to me that God is using Cornelius for his purposes. And Cornelius isn't even a believer. Like I wonder sometimes in the church if we, we say who God can use and can't use. Like how long is that person... You know, how long have they been following Jesus? Have they taken the new believers class? Um, Cornelius had done none of that, and God's already using them. So all these people have, have gathered around, um, and they're, they're, they're ready for, for Peter. And uh, now Peter, he hasn't taken public speaking 101 at this point. Because listen, listen to what he says. He starts off, people are gathered around Acts 10 verse 28. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with people like you, <laughs> to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure. <laughs> it's like, uh, I shouldn't use my racial slang anymore. Uh, so when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. <laughs> May I ask why you sent me? Peter, man of God, a little slow on the uptake. Like, why, why am I here? Why have you called for me? You know, I, I, sh I shouldn't even be hanging out with you all, but I'm going to make an exception. <laughs> like, if there's one way to turn off your audience, it's to tell them you are better than all of them. Uh, and that's, that's what, I mean, that's what he says. I can't. Um, and so Cornelius again recounts what happened. And in Scripture, anytime something is repeated, you need to pay attention. It's, it's, a, it's a sign. It's a clear, like, hey, pay attention to this. And so Cornelius repeats it, and, and Luke, as he's writing, takes up more parchment to let us know. 
Acts 10.33, Cornelius says, I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. That's awesome. Like they are ready. Uh, and I should say, when Peter showed up, Cornelius fell on his knees before him. And Peter's like, hey, bro, I'm just a guy. Just go ahead and, go ahead and stand up. Um, so there's something was already working in, in Peter's heart. And verse 34, Acts 10, 34. If you don't get anything else today, write this one down, commit it to memory. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, 2,000 years later, I mean, I grew up in churches that was all about the nations and reaching the nations and everybody, uh, everybody needs Jesus. And so we can read that and just kind of glance over it, just kind of like it's no big deal. That was, but this, I mean, this was a, uh, I wish I was better with words to describe how, how big this statement was, how what's the uh, like watershed moment, turning point for the church, how this was going to shift the entire focus of the church forever. This, this moment, and I mean, at this point, the church is 99.9% comprised of Jewish believers. And so for Peter to understand this, the leader of the movement to understand like, oh, hmm, it's not just for us. This is for all peoples. And so then Peter tells them about Jesus. And if you go back through the book of Acts, it's similar to what he's said in other places, that Jesus came to the earth. He, he walked among us. He did miracles. He cast out demons. He set the captive free. Remember, you're going to read this for homework, so don't just take my word for it. Uh, he said, and then they killed him, but God raised him. We've seen him. We are witnesses. And now he is the judge of the living and the dead. And if you believe in him, you'll receive the forgiveness of sins. And while Peter is preaching, like before he's ever even given a chance for a response or the altar call, before the worship ministers even come back up on the keys, like the Holy Spirit falls on them and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit and they begin speaking in tongues. Just like, and, and Peter, again, man of faith, is astonished. And those who are with him, it even it uses that word that they were astonished. They were dumbfounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. And so here, before their very eyes, they witness God accepting the Gentiles into the church. Let me try it one more time. I like it. I got one hallelujah. Before their very eyes, they see the Gentiles being accepted into the church. Yeah, that's a little better. All right. That's a little better. Uh, but, I mean, there was nothing that could have prepared them for this. They see their God pour out his spirit on these people, right? Because that's who they, they worship was their God. Like, this is our God. What? Their God pours out his spirit on these people. Nothing could have prepared them for this. And in that moment, there was a witness from the Gentiles to the Jews. There was a witness from the Gentiles to the Jews. God speaks through the Gentiles to Israel in that moment. Because if, if it had not worked out that way, I mean, Peter might have gone back home, but because the way the Holy Spirit came on them, 
all this, it was an eye-opener for the Jews. Like, oh, God is speaking to us through the Gentiles, through people who we had just despised a couple days ago. God is speaking through them to us. The Gentiles speak in tongues and Israel hears God. And Jesus will be worshipped in Israel and he'll be worshipped outside of Israel. And so Peter's like, uh, apparently they've got the Holy Spirit. Any reason they shouldn't be baptized? No. They're baptized in that moment. And Acts chapter 10 is more about the conversion of Peter than it is about the conversion of Cornelius, even though the import, his conversion is important. But it was the opening of the door of salvation for us, for all of us who sit in this room today, for those who gather around the globe, the majority being non-Jewish, this was the moment when the door was open. And this had been God's design all along, was that all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham. So Peter, oh my goodness, is that right? The time? This clock up here, don't look at that, that's 10 minutes fast, all right? So it's always like a miracle when you go out to your car and like, oh, it's not as late as it, okay? Every week it's a miracle when you get out before you, you think. Um, where was I? Peter. Peter was in process. I mean, this, this was a quick change, but it wasn't instantaneous. In fact, I think if you had gone to Peter just a couple days before and been like, hey, Peter, you know what you're going to be doing on Friday? You're going to be in the house of a Roman soldier telling them about Jesus. Peter, been, Peter would have been like, mm -mm. <laughs> If you had taken a picture of Peter at Cornelius' house and taken it back in time three days and shown Peter, like, hey, Peter, I got this picture of you. You're going to be at Cornelius' house. He's going to look, look at the picture. He'd look at you. He'd look at the picture. He'd look at you. Photoshopped. Like, there, there was no way that Peter was going to go stand, go to the house of a Gentile. Like, it was one thing to invite them in, but then when he goes there, he goes in with Cornelius. And in just three days, I mean, he had a vision. God tells him, don't call anything unclean. Go with these strangers. The Gentiles show up. They tell him about Cornelius and the angel. He goes to Cornelius' house. He hears about the angel again. He preaches. The Holy Spirit's poured out. And then... The last verse of the chapter, 48, says, Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And apparently he stayed. Like the, the Peter at the beginning of chapter 10 is not the same guy at the end of the chapter. Like he was in process and God was working on his heart and working things through his heart. And as we... Um, seek to build a multi-ethnic church like people from from different backgrounds we need to keep this in mind like we are in process each of us is in a, a process on this journey and we're in different stages on this on this process like some of us are a little further along and someone someone in the church could say something to you that is uh offensive that is insensitive that is ignorant that is intentionally racist. And the, the fear that I have is that when that happens, they're like, no, nah, I'm done with this. Forgetting that we are in process. 
Like, and to have some, some grace towards one another, to have some courage. I mean, if I'm Cornelius and his crew and Peter shows up and is like, hey, I guess you all aren't unclean. Like, they could have checked out. It's pro- is that making sense? Like, it was a process for Peter. It wasn't an overnight thing where all of a sudden, like, he was woke, right? The term of the last, last couple of years. Um, like he needed some, some prodding. He needed some help. And you see how I was saying there's so much that could be said about this passage? Like we could dive in deep here. Um, and just the, the last thing I'll leave you with, and then we'll, we'll conclude. Come on, Najee. <laughs> um, if the Holy Spirit were to fall right now, I'd be all right with that. Just like when Peter was, was finished up. Um, a few times in previous messages, I have referenced uh, the the children's classic, The Chronicles of Narnia. Once or twice, one of, my, one of my favorites. You should still read it if you haven't read it. Um, and in The Chronicles of Narnia, children from our world have gotten into another world, and, and they meet this character, this lion. And the lion is the son of the emperor over the sea. And he's a Christ figure, and, and he ends up uh, dying for someone else to, to save them, as, as Christ did. But one of my favorite quotes from that book is that it says Aslan is the name of this lion. Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. And in this chapter, God is on the move. Like through and through, uh, we can see the heavy, divine hands of God at work. Every step of the way, God is showing up. God's speaking to Peter. God's speaking to Cornelius. God is, is opening eyes. He's giving visions. He's pouring out his spirit so that there could be no doubt. Uh, And the fact is that God had to send multiple strong, obviously supernatural signs for Peter in order for him to get it. So God was at work showing his intentions that the good news of Jesus is for all people. This good news that we have is for all people. It's unmistakable. It's undeniable. And the Spirit of God was at work in the church and he was at work outside the church. And sometimes, depending on our experience, we can think God's uh, at work in one place or the other. Like God, God's left the building at the church. I'm not going to be part of that anymore. Or sometimes we, in the church, it'd be like, God's not moving out there. He's moving in here. But in this story, we see God moving outside the church, God moving inside the church by his Holy Spirit. He is directing things. He is uh, organizing the, the meeting of the Jews and the Gentiles. So God's hand is all over this. But still, Cornelius and Peter were praying. Like their hearts, in some capacity, they were communicating communicating with God, and, and God was able to speak with them. Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. There's no qualifiers. There's no disqualifiers from following God. And Cornelius, now now the gospel is not like, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Peter calls Jesus the the judge and the Lord and and giver of life in this passage. And Cornelius, they have to believe, but the door is open for whoever would believe. I mean, rich or poor, strong or weak, employed, unemployed, the healthy, the sick, the happy, the unhappy, the industrious, the lazy, the employee, the employer, the black, brown, 
white, religious, unreligious, the door has been opened to the gospel of Jesus Christ.